What's up? It's the Heavy Hole Podcast. This is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. My um, part-time bandmate, full-time friend, Dave Gladding, is in the building today. My special co-host. Dave, say hello to the good people. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> Welcome back, man. It's good to, good to have you aboard today, Dave. How you been? I've been good, man. Been uh, watching a lot of Futurama. Really? Now, That's about it. I know people who have like bugged on that show and know a lot of the episodes and the lore and everything. I did used to watch it when it was on many years ago, man. But that's like, now are you passing that on to your children? Uh, no, they're not really feeling it yet. Um, mm. I just, uh, I, I forget how it happened. Like we, we ended up just getting Hulu in the last month or so. I think it was one of those things where like, you know, it's, it's like bundled in with our cell phone plan or something like that. Like it's, we didn't like, like, you know, subscribe to it ourselves. It was just like one of us like, oh, like because you subscribe to whatever, you get this free. So I was like, cool. And so I just, you know, I used to love watching Futurama and I hadn't seen it in a while. So I'm like just kind of binging it, like starting at the first episode and going through them all. Yeah, yeah. I um <clears throat> I've been avoiding sci-fi for a while now for for undisclosed reasons. <laughs> but enough Yeah, about, I could see that. <laughs> enough about me. Um uh, well, moving on, man. In in the realm of of uh, of re- weird science, real science, um, you had an organism. You left us in suspense. I think the last time you co-hosted the program, or one of the last times you were on, Dave. It's been a while now. Um, you were uh, fostering a canine organism in your house. Um. You, you, yes, you told yes, us a, a sad tale of a dog that was malnourished. It was sick, uh, and you were going to take care of it temporarily. Not going to be a keeper. Can't do it. We're just going to wait till it has a nice home, right? How did that work out? Yeah, uh, we kept her. She's <laughs> ours. We have two dogs now. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, so yeah, we're just a bunch of suckers, and we can't uh, we can't foster animals because we just end up keeping them. So, yeah, that, yeah, she just she ended up getting getting along so well with our dog. We were just like, fuck it. Let's just keep her. Yeah. You know, that's why I probably so, wouldn't be able to foster an animal. It would just, you know, I would get attached. That's the old the old tale. Right. That's why I can't. Uh, that, that's, you know, the session member thing. It gets a little dicey, too. You know that, Dave, you know, like, I, you know, we, we get we get attached man. we just want to bring it into the, into the fold. Um, so what's this dog's name? Yeah, you see the, these. Uh, her name is Nala. Okay. Okay. Does she come with that name? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. uh, we were going to rename her, but we just sort of figured like, it seems like she's had kind of a rough life and we're like, we don't want her having to also like learn a new name or some shit like that. So we just kept it. That's another hard part of adopting an animal, uh, which I think is a, a noble effort, man. But it, you know, you, sometimes you're stuck with a great dog, bad name, it ha- like, like, like bands again, like death metal. Great band, bad name. It happens, you know. Maybe, maybe in other people's opinions, I'm in a few of those bands. What do I know, you know? Yeah, band band names are, are a hard thing to choose. I feel like it's it's, you know, some some are winners, some are losers, some yeah. are just an acquired taste. You know, it's just how it's how it rolls. You know, you sort of just gotta as long as you like it yourself, it doesn't matter what the other people think. Yeah, it's like uh, pickles. You know, you you like them or you don't. Put them on the shelf. You know what I mean? That's the perfect analogy. <laughs> Thank you for coming up with that. I, I tried. I do my best, man. Um, 
Yeah, man. Well, I'm. I salute to you and your family, man. The kids are enjoying the new dog. I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah, they're having a ball. Yeah, that's good, man. And the two dogs are getting along. Yeah, that's the whole nature of this project, right? Yep, lots of playing, romping around in the yard, all that shit. Wow, man, that's great, man. It sounds like a good doing time. Whatever man. dogs do. Yeah, doing what they do, man. I like that, man. That's a beautiful experience right there, man, to be had. I'm sure. All right, so salute your family on that, man. Other than that, what else have been going? You been going to any shows lately? You got any uh, beautiful reissues of Death Metal Classic lately? You know, I did actually did get quite a few records, I think, since we last spoke. I got the the first three Internal Bleeding records, Whoa. Uh, their final re-release. I guess since I interviewed Chris Pervelis, they unlocked the... The, the squabble over reissuing some of that older material. We People can go back to my interview with Chris Pervelis from a while back about that. We talked about that. That's great that they overcame that hurdle. Yeah. And uh, I listened to them all. They all sound really good. You know, mm-hmm. it's it was weird having to order them from, like, England, I think, or someplace in Europe. I feel like it Uh-oh. felt weird that, that there wasn't any labels, like, stateside that would do that, that would be into releasing them. But I don't know. I don't... I'm not a... I'm not in a band. I'm not like hip to the, you know, the the music business and all that shit. So feels like you should have been ordering them from like, like, like you should have been ordering them from like Comac, you know? Yeah. Like I'd just be like, email the guy and be like, Hey dude, I'll be there. I'm going to drive down. I'll be there in 90 minutes. Meet me in the, in the Walgreens parking lot. Yeah. I'll give you cash. Meet me, meet me at the seven 11 in Northport. All right. Jeez. Um, no, that's great, man. Actually, I read somewhere, um, uh, not quoting directly here, but I believe they said something like these new internal bleeding reissues they just made, like they have some sort of like, uh, old masters that I guess they didn't have at the time of other, like this, this is, this is like the realest quality you can get on these vinyls or something like that. I saw something like that. All right. That's cool, man. I have, I purchased the dissonant tapes editions that came out a year or two ago, man. I'm very content with those. People know I like my cassette tapes, man. Um, little bit of little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, man. Um, wow, man. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm very happy to, to hear about all that stuff, Dave. Uh, you told us a, a raw tale of of from the streets, uh, uh, of of literally of an underdog. Um, uh, we talked about um, death metal, old and new. Uh, old things coming back. My guests tonight are none other than Austin and Zach from Outer Heaven, who have their own tale of coming up from the streets as underdogs, bringing a little bit of that old school death metal sound in with the new spirit. Man, we're gonna get in, in deep with those guys right now. Man, they got a good story to tell. It was nice, nice keeping up with those guys. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Zach Carter and Austin Haynes of Outer Heaven from Pennsylvania. Is that correct, guys? Yes, that's it. That's it. Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 
Yeah, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we were speaking behind the scenes. I know you guys are a little bit familiar with the format. So I'm just going to, um, I, I hate to do this to you, A to Z. We're going to go in alphabetical uh, uh, order. Um, but, Zach, if, uh, uh, all kidding aside, if you could just be patient a minute, I'm going to ask each of you guys a little bit about your background leading up to being in the band. And then and then we'll kind of get into the more conversational part. So, Austin, um, I also I have to credit quickly Heavy New York YouTube channel and Necrosexual YouTube channel as my research. I know um, he's those outlets have covered you guys in the past. And I know from that, uh, Austin, you are well. Uh, you guys are kind of like from I don't know if you'd say a group of friends, a group of musicians, but your town has a lot of people that are involved in the metal community and other bands people might have heard of. Is that fair to say? Definitely. There's a, a few bigger bands uh, from this immediate town or the town next to ours. Um, that's how I actually kind of got my start in all of this. Uh, there's a band called Rivers of Nile, uh, basically from the same town as where we are. And um, I toured with those guys. I went to high school with some of those guys. And I started off doing weekend tours and stuff with them you know years this is probably 2008 2009 um and i just kind of found myself deciding as i got out of high school whether or not i wanted to tour and that was a good opportunity because they were getting signed to metal blade around the time that i was getting out of high school and uh, we were just kind of i was just kind of riding that wave with them driving and doing sound doing merch and doing whatever just because we were friends uh and that's kind of how i got into touring uh in general and i ended up doing tours with some other bands and stuff like that i did some summer slaughter tours and stuff a bunch of this was kind of in the early 2000s where you know the band a band like rivers of nile was touring in the realm of the metal scene with bands like oceano and stuff like that but we were also touring with you know bigger death metal like dying fetus devourment uh you know things of that nature and so that was cool i kind of did a couple of tours with some bands like that i'm looking over my shoulder at some of the flyers so i don't forget anything but yeah basically that was how i got into touring but even earlier than that when i was younger uh, my dad was very into bands like slayer and venom and merciful fate and stuff like that and that i that's stuff i remember from early on anthrax he was a fan of and my dad and my uncle which was my mom's brother were really good buddies and my uncle was very into music and very into the industry and he still works in you know in the industry today um and so I kind of was around that a lot when I was younger. And my dad liked the other kind of stuff. You know, I'll credit him for that too. Outlaw country stuff, Waylon Jennings, Hank Williams, you know, stuff like that. And that that I still listen to to this day. But my dad and my uncle were kind of the ones that gave me that influence. Like I said, my uncle worked and still continues to work in the music industry. My uncle moved to D.C. maybe in the early 90s. And he was a promoter in DC and he was booking like 930 Club and stuff like that. Really popular DC places. And, you know, he was really ingrained in kind of the hardcore and metal scene in DC area in the early 90s, which was big, you know, at the time. And then he kind of got into 
being a man in management and stuff like that. So basically through my whole life, he's been around kind of kicking stuff at me of all genres. He's really into stuff like quicksand and stuff like that too. But that's how I kind of was influenced always to be into this kind of music, hardcore and metal and punk and all that stuff. And then I kind of just, I started going to shows when, you know, maybe like, maybe like 2002, three, and it's basically just been that ever since. Okay. Yeah. I neglected to take it back as far as, are you from a musical family? Mm-hmm. Uh, the typical heavy hole question, but you brought it there. I was, I was, I was going to try to bring you there. Cause, um, uh, all right. So dad is a metalhead right off the bat. And I guess that we're coming off the eighties. If we're talking about King diamond and that sort of thing, sure, yeah, your uncle is involved in the, in the industry. So <clears throat> are there, um, I mean, like, it's pretty easy to see then how you would be in like kind of influenced then, I guess, especially to be like, you know, in a touring band, a band that aspires to kind of be part of the bigger part of the scene and, and part of the, the music industry, so to speak. Like going back to being a kid before you ever thought you were going to be in a band or anything like what, what was the first, did you ever think that you would be in a band or did that come later in high school? Like how did all this heavy metal and people in the music industry, um, in your family affect you as a kid? Like, do you, do you, do you think it gave you a different insight into heavy metal that other kids didn't have until later in life? Yeah, maybe to a degree. I think it just, just being you know, engrossed in it so often, you know, through different family members is kind of what pushed me down a path of being into this kind of music. Because, you know, if you want to make, you know, a living, this is not necessarily the type of music that you want to be playing a lot of the time, but it's something what that, you know, it's a special kind of music. And if you're into it, you know, you're usually a lifelong fan of it. And that's kind of what the influence did to me was just, I remember, you know, going back and sitting out in the front yard with my dad and a neighbor and they had, you know, Metallica black album in the stereo and I'm looking at it and it's the black CD with the, like, the like glossy snake on the top. It's just a memory I have from way, way back, stuff like that, that is early back as far back as I can remember when it comes to being kind of exposed to that stuff. But, you know, it's like my uncle still to this day when when my uncle found out that we were doing this band and he we had to when we signed to relapse and stuff like that. And we had to get a lawyer and like an entertainment lawyer and all kinds of stuff was suggested to us. I called my uncle because I needed to know what to do, you know, what were some things to look out for and be careful of and make sure that, you know, we were taken care of on our end. And still to this day, you know, when I see him or when I talk to him on the phone, it's, it's, he can pull a story out of his ass about literally anything and about any band you can imagine. He's seen them, you know, in the most random things. He told me a story last time I just talked to him on the phone about how he went to, he was scouting a band somewhere in Texas or something. And he saw the band he wanted to see. And then there was another show happening in the same club after the show he wanted to see. So he hung around and it was Blink-182 playing like one of their earliest shows with their first drummer, you know, and all that kind of shit. And he said that they were horrible at the time and that nobody liked them at all. And then like two years later, it was, they were the biggest thing in the world. He's got stories about anything, everyone, even 
people I talk to and I meet in, you know, in the industry, I tell my uncle, oh, you know, I saw, I met this guy and this guy, I talked to this guy and he goes, huh, I know that guy. I worked with him on this year and this time and this day, you know, and he remembers everything about everyone. He's, he's a very, he's a people person like that because that's kind of a quality of somebody in the industry that does well, you know, now he does more and he's more on the merchandising side of things. But even my aunt who he's been married to for a very long time also works in the industry and she, she's more in the management side. She has, she ha, is, uh, she's a co-owner in a management company that manages like uh Bob Weir and dead and co and stuff like that. So even that's outside of the metal realm, but you you hear them talk about how all of it works and it's interesting. What she was just here over the holidays at Christmas, sitting in my parents' kitchen, booking hotels for Dead and Co. You know, for their for their Cancun five days of shows in a row, whatever the fuck thing they were doing that you know at that time. But it's interesting. It definitely there's definitely you know the influence does do something to you when it comes to how you approach certain things with your own band. And that's kind of, this is the outer heaven is my first band that I've ever been in ever. Yeah. And the only band that I have ever been in, that's it was a really anything at all. So, you know, we've just been doing it for a while and we kind of just, you know, do what we do. That that's that's a lot there, man. Um, to talk about, I wanna, I do wanna pause respectfully and switch gears to Zach before we get mm-hmm. back to some of that. Um, but that that's interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot there. Zach, could you tell us a little bit about your story? Are you from a musical family? Anyone in your upbringing that steered you towards hard rock or heavy metal or anything like that? So my dad <clears throat> was in multiple bands in the 80s and early 90s band called untamed band called crushing daisies he was a singer they used he used to hang out at the cell block and g willikers in south jersey all the time um at one point he had uh hitchhiked his way to la where he was homeless for about a year in like the late 80s early 90s and um he had he loved to tell me the story of he had Two, he auditioned to be the vocalist of Metal Church, and he got two callbacks, but he didn't get the job because he was he was like two hours late both times, and uh, so it, you know, sometimes I think like that would have been sick if my dad was in Metal Church, but uh, you know, he, yeah, that, that never happened, but he definitely was like the one that got me into heavy metal. I remember like he got me peace of mind by iron maiden at the tower records in south jersey in terry hill new jersey when i was in fourth grade and i was just like absolutely life-changing i remember driving he i used to see him on the weekends he was driving me home on 476 in delaware county pennsylvania to my mom's house and i remember listening to uh, peace of mind on repeat and reading all the lyrics and like looking at the CD booklet and I would be like, put it on again. And you put it on again. We listen to the whole thing. That's like what, that's like one of my fondest memories. I was like the day I got into heavy metal. Wow. Okay. So both you guys are second generation metalheads. Yeah. That's wow. interesting to me. All right. Cause yeah, that's a d- totally different family tree for me in terms of heavy metal. Um, 
Interesting. So then I know, Zach, you eventually find your way to the band Castle Freak uh, for a period of time before or kind of like during the time that you joined Outer Heaven. Is that right? So I my first show with Castle Freak was March 28th, 2014. I don't remember that because it was my 21st birthday. Um, and we did that from like m- March of 2015 until the end of 2015 and then kind of picked it back up later that summer uh, uh, in 2016. And at that point, John had reached out to me to ask if I wanted to play second guitar in Outer Heaven. And I was like, oh, like we're getting back together, like Castle Freak with, you know, we got Sebastian uh, and Ben from Noisome doing it. And like, I think it's going to be like a more serious thing now. So like, I don't really have the time. Like, I'm sorry. But that was like my first interaction really with uh, with the Outer Heaven guys where I sold John a, a guitar and he was like, hey, like, would you be interested in auditioning for second guitar? But that kind of fizzled out. And then after Castle Freak like officially broke up again in the end of 2016, uh, John reached out and asked if I would be interested in filling in on bass. This for... is John, our other guitar yes, player. Yeah, yeah, John, our other guitar player, reached out and uh asked if i would be interested in filling in on bass for a show opening for nails at union transfer which is like my favorite venue in philly and i was like yes absolutely like i wasn't doing anything at the time i you know that's pretty broken up and i was like absolutely and then it just kind of became more and more serious very quickly and i was like my first rehearsal with them like i brought in a song and we practice it and that was what lies beneath and we've played it at every show since then since before i was even like an official member of the band but that was just like that first practice with me playing bass was just where we all kind of felt like okay this is like a perfect fit okay and here's here's a question just just a a, a rewind question real quick um between those two eras, you getting into be- listening to Peace of Mind with Dad in the truck, and yeah. joining out of between there. Tell me about your first guitar. Um, tell me like how old first guitar, lessons or not, you know that sort of thing. Uh, I my first guitar was some like Yamaha Stratocaster. It was a black Yamaha Strat with a white pickguard. Uh, that Classic. I loved because it reminded me of Dave Murray from Iron Maiden's Black Strat with the white pick guard. Um, but I didn't really like, I fiddled around with that a bit, but then my dad got me the Kerry King BC Rich Metal Master pack with the amp <laughs> and stuff like that with the tribal <laughs> graphic. And I was like, this is the sickest thing I've, I've ever seen. Like, I need that. And that was like what I really started seriously playing guitar on. Um, but yeah, that was. I took lessons a little bit. Uh, I remember my mom used to drop me off at the at the Quaker meeting house uh, for lessons with this dude who like taught classical guitar. And I, like at the time, I was like, so I was just like a, you know, little dickhead, like sixth grader. And I was like, I just want to learn Metallica riffs. I just want to learn Iron Maiden riffs. Like I don't want to learn this classical music. But looking back on it, I probably should have listened to that guy a little bit more because he was really trying to teach me some valuable stuff. But I was just, I was just in that era of just that age where you just don't want to do do anything outside what you want to do. But uh, and I tried to take lessons a little bit here and there, but like 
I could never stick with it because they were never teaching me what I wanted to learn. So mostly self-taught, but. Okay. Just something I like to run past every, uh, or, or most of the guitarists and, and bass players we talk to. Um, and well, here's something that kind of comes to mind because you said the Quaker meeting house, Austin, before you said something about dad, like in the outlaw country, would I be wrong to assume that you guys are from an area that's maybe a little bit more rural? Yeah, pretty much. It's very kind of woodsy where we live. If you get on the outskirts of the woodsy area, there's a little bit of a towny type of thing, but it's like our guitar player, John, for example, his house is like in the woods. Yeah. You know, it's there's the creek falling behind the house on the edge of the property. It's like that. When I was younger, my dad lived in a place called Honeybrook which was even more, you know, country than even where here where we live. And, you know, that was in a trailer park. So it's, you know, it was down home and, but it was cool. You know, there's something, there's something about living in an area like this that I feel like has an effect on our, just our overall vibe. You know, I always kind of called us a backwoods death metal band because it's just, I feel like there's something about it it kind of gives you a certain edge just in my, that's my opinion, but I've always felt like there was some like an earthiness like to our sound that kind of came from that doing thing, living in places like that. Our guitar player, John is very into being in the woods and being, you know, out in nature and stuff like that. And it, I definitely feel like that plays into what we do. Okay, man, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because that's that's kind of what I was getting at, like how how the setting where you're from and environment kind of affects the band. You 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 explained that very well. Do you think like expanding on that would that maybe affect or be some sort of explanation as to like before you were talking about. Um, you know, there's there's a bit of a music scene right based out of your area. You know, you mentioned Rivers of Nile. There's other bands like there. There definitely seems to be a strong when I when I see social media, when I see flyers for the type of events you guys have there. It seems like there's a strong local music community of hardcore and death metal and other genres coming together. I mean, is do you think that that has to do with people that are from a more rural area where it's not as easy to see a show every night, like in Brooklyn, you know, so to speak, or, for, or to say. Sure. It definitely does. And that's a, that's kind of a classic setup for this band in general, because when we started the band, our guitar player, John was still playing guitar in rivers of Nile. And we did outer heaven basically with just on the side of touring with rivers so in the first couple of years, we didn't really do much. And when we did play shows with Outer Heaven, it was only just in between tours. And if you wanted to play in places, but this is back in the early 2010s, you know, you would need to, if you wanted to play like in Philly and places like that, we're about like 45 minutes to an hour outside of Philly. So if you wanted to play in Philly, which is like the dream of everyone who wants to play in this area, you know, when you're first starting a band, you your options at the at that time were to play with hardcore bands. You, there was a there was an overabundance of hardcore bands, not quite as many metal bands as there are now. But we ended up playing a lot 
of mixed bills with a lot of hardcore bands in our early years because that was what there was. And because we played heavy music, hardcore kids kind of latched on to that. And that's why we got invited a lot of times to play on hardcore shows or mixed bills. And that eventually turned, it, it basically got to the point where with old members, we were kind of figuring out our sound and stuff. When we started out, we were kind of doing like a doomy thing because at the time our bass player, our very first original bass player was really into that. And we were all into it. And we just decided like, yeah, we were just writing stuff like that. And then after our original bass player left and Zach came in, we were basically deciding like, okay, we need to figure out what we want to do here with our sound. We had, John was writing a track at the time that was, you know, more in vain of like what we sound like today and kind of what our sound is now. And we recorded that and we put it out on a four-way split years ago with Gate Creeper and, you know, some other recently disgraced bands. And um, the, that was when that came out, I think we kind of started to pick up a little more buzz when it came to metal shows and stuff like that. And then after, you know, that kind of led to the album, we recorded one single uh, after the four-way split, which was like, okay, that was the single that we recorded was actually going to be a track on our first LP on the Realms LP. And we pulled it from there. We went and recorded it in the studio professionally. We made our own music video for it with our own two hands friends as actors we recorded it our our drummer went to film school so we kind of had that advantage and we used that to kind of shop around our new you know our sound hey this is what our our lp is gonna you know we're, we want to record an album this is what our album is going to sound like and that's kind of how we started getting on the radar of you know we talked to a bunch of labels all your standards you know 20 bucks spin and blood harvest and relapse and all these people and that's eventually, you know, because Relapse is based out of Upper Darby, not far from where we live, playing in the area so often, you it just inevitably had people who worked for Relapse at a lot of our shows when we started playing more metal shows and stuff like that. So that kind of lined us up pretty well with that. All right, man, that's I, I appreciate the explanation because and you said something too. you said you guys are about 45 minutes or so away from Philly. Um, I feel like there might be like something of a similarity because I'm from Long Island here, um, out in the suburbs. I'm about an hour or so outside of Brooklyn and New York City, and you know that's typically where a lot of bands want to play. There's you know there are venues out here, but like I, I get the thing. Yeah, everyone wants to get to the um, city yeah. where the bigger scene is. We uh, played. We played on Long Island. The only time I ever played two shows in one day. <laughs> we played. We did a matinee show at St. Vitus with Gate Creeper. And then jumped right in our vans and drove out to Long Island Shakers, maybe it was called. Oh, was yeah. Shakers? Yeah, Shakers yeah, still has and, shows, yeah. And we played a show that night, same day, with Gate Creeper again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we used to come out to Long Island quite often because we, you know, you, I'm sure you remember, what was his name, Tom McCarthy? I was yeah. going to say the last show yeah. we played on Long Island was that Obnoxious Noise Fest. Yeah. Pig Destroyer. Yes. Well, yeah, I was gonna say because I, yeah, I was an artificial brain at the time, so we played. Yeah. We all shared the stage, you know, at one point. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it's uh, it's just interesting to get that insight into where you guys are from. And to, like you, what you said before about, you know, um, just kind of the intermingling of the, the hardcore scene with the death metal and, and, and everything where you guys are from. I wanted to confirm this. You, I, I know, Austin, you had... Um, you were you were part of the team behind a record label when you were younger. Would that have been Upper Hand Records? Yeah, that it, <laughs> yes. Okay, okay, no, yeah, because I just like I said, I do a little research, and you put out a uh, like early Code Orange releases, early Jesus Peace releases, um, and and a, a few yeah. other things. It seems like you kind of, I mean. All right, before before we go we, we go to the bigger picture of, of all this sort of thing, could you maybe just give us a little insight into what it's like doing that even even on kind of like a smaller indie label scale? Like what was that like taking that on? Um, you know, find like did you have to deal with finding pressing plants, getting things printed up, investing capital? I mean, everyone wants to do a label and put out a cool record, but I'm sure it's a big headache when you actually are knee deep in all that. It's 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 just funny because I don't even think I've heard the words upper hand records in a long time. <laughs> we, we our our original bass player, Phil and I are, were the two masterminds behind that. Okay. We, uh, the code orange, like you mentioned, code orange kids at the time, they were going to, co- they had started the band kind of, and they all decided to make a group move to Philadelphia as a band, some of them were in college there. Some of them were just there working because they all wanted to stay together as a group to try to keep pushing the band. And they thought that Philly was a better place to do that than Pittsburgh. So what they did was, is I had a high school friend who was going to, to college in Philadelphia as well. And he had met uh, the drummer, Jamie from Code Orange Kids, and they became buddies. And that's how I kind of linked up with them. Uh, and I would end up touring with them for a bit, down, you know, years down the line and stuff. But um, when they were first starting out and they were really even picking up buzz, like from being on Death Wish and stuff like that, we saw some good opportunities to do some releases for them, um, special one-off releases for festivals. This is Hardcore Fest and stuff like that. Uh, and everything that we ever made, tapes and stuff like that, were made by hand in real time in the basement of my parents' house. So <laughs> if you, if anyone out there has any of those cassettes, especially like the, um, the, this is hardcore, like limited edition covers and stuff. I see those go for quite a bit of money. I don't even have a copy of any of those. Mm. I, we gave them every single last copy we had because we were sitting in my parents' basement for a week on end. Every time we needed to do something, cutting covers, stuffing cassette cases, I went and bought a machine that would duplicate like four cassettes at a time. And I was using master tapes to make them. I was using a boom box to transfer tracks onto the master cassette and shit like that, you know? And it was like, it was, it took a lot of time, but it was rewarding in the end, you know, when you had, you hand them that box, you know, finished, you know, stuff. And, and you go to the show or go to the fest and people eat that stuff up. And now I see these tapes sell for like 150, $200 because they're, they're like the biggest hardcore band in the world. And same thing with Jesus piece, you know, that the, the bass player of Jesus piece was just a friend of ours. And we used to go to game night at his house on Wednesday nights to play video games. 
and he was like, yeah, I'm in this new band. And when they started getting a little buzz, they had some promo songs and stuff. And they said, yeah, well, let us take it and do that. Same thing. Everything was always by hand. You know, it, it was painstaking work, but uh, it was a cool time. You know, we weren't, uh, you know, I'm married now with a daughter and shit. And I have my own house and all these things. I rarely would have the time for something like that now. But back then, you know, we were single and just doing whatever with whatever with our time. And that seemed like something cool to do. So it kind of fizzled out when, you know, our Phil, our old bass player and the guy that I was doing it with, he had a kid and stuff. And then so we just kind of let it fall to the wayside. But it was fun while we did it. And it was a lot of work. Yes, sounds like it, man. I mean, I've done little tape label style things myself. In the past, it sounds like you guys were really grinding, though. Um, it's tedious work after a while. You know what I mean? There's times where you kind of just got to, like, throw your hands up and walk away for a little bit because, like, say you, um, uh, I'm, I'm working, like, I'm, I, I happen to be working on a little cassette compilation for a little tour one of my bands is doing this summer. And it's like you'll, if you time things wrong and there isn't enough time at the end of the, the, the side A of the tape and you don't have enough time for the last 10 seconds of the song, you got to go back to, oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's fucking annoying. Um, wow. So, so you talked about Code Orange, formerly Code Orange Kids and Jesus Peace. Those were bands that have kind of like risen to become really popular bands. I think Jesus Peace more very like symbolic of the way hardcore and death metal are interplaying. Um, especially with the younger generation nowadays, there's a lot of that and it's kind of coming from different angles and, and different ways. You talked before about, um, I mean, uh, if I got it right, your first demo actually turns 10 years old this year. No? 2013 demo, is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, do, I think so. Just, I guess, I think it already did. January, I think, would have that would have been it. Just to make the point, you guys were kind of forerunners of, like, nowadays... It's a big thing, um, hardcore death metal. They bands tour together. There's, com- you know, complete combinations of all of all types in the audience, uh, watching bands and supporting bands. And uh, you know, and my my own bands and my podcast benefit from that. Man, I'm not going to be an elitist about anything, um, uh, nor do I have a right to. But what I'm getting at is like you you guys were a little bit like maybe forerunners and start like saw this from the start, like because because like I feel like. Maybe maybe you'll agree with this. Maybe not. When you were in high school, Austin, um, and maybe you Zach too. I don't, I don't know if you're around the same age. Like it was probably yeah. a little bit more towards that scenester metal core, like you know, like haircut. I remember it. Grindy metal core stuff. And like nowadays, it's kind of shifted into this. Whether it's hardcore or death metal, it's just got to be raw and brutal kind of thing. Yeah. Like so. So I mean, t- tell us about being like on the hill watching that happen, and then like walking down and seeing it all. I don't think it was necessarily even a conscious thing. I think we just had a guitar player who was really into death metal, a bass player who was really into hardcore and not so much death metal. And that kind of just became a melting pot for what our demo would become in the long run. Because if you, if you really listen to our demo, which makes me cringe, (laughs) you will, you'll, every track sounds like something completely different from the last one. And it's because we were really trying to decide on a sound and somebody would bring a riff. And there's one track on there that I that I do like, uh, or I guess that, that wouldn't be on the demo. That would be on the Diabolus album, the, the Piss Grave sounding riff on Diabolus, which is 
our, our bass player wrote that riff and it was his greatest contribution to this band of all times. <laughs> it was, he, he really got into piss grave for a minute. And then he was like, Oh, I wrote this piss grave riff. And I was like, he played it and I was like, Oh, sick. Okay. And then it ended up being, I, I can't, I can, we haven't played tracks off the Diabolus like EP thing in fucking seven years. So, but I remember it happening at the time and just being like, damn, okay. That's the kind, that's the sound that I like here that I think we should try to strive for, you know, that, that kind of more brutal sound, a death metal sound. Cause we always wanted to be death metal, but we were just trying to figure out like where we fit in all of the death metal stuff because like our guitar player, John, he's very, he's into a lot of stuff. John and I go way, way back to before the band even started when we were in high school and he was into a lot of stuff back then, like animosity and bands like that, if you remember. And that was a huge time. Black Dahlia or early Black Dahlia murder, animosity, you know, things like that. And like, if you remember like ion dissonance and uh, all yeah. that kind of shit, yeah. it was, yeah. that was like what everybody wanted to be back then. And then he got really into super technical stuff and like Gorgut style stuff. And he's a great player because of it, you know, but that's why we had such a weird amalgamation of influences and things that we liked that that's why our demo kind of turned into this metal hardcore, you know, melting pot type situation. And then as we kind of moved on from that, every release just got more and more focused until the realms of eternal decay LP. And then, you know, that it was just a jumping off point for our new album you know, which is coming. And that is like the absolute epitome of everything that this band has ever done up to this point. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's a great setup. Speaking of realms of eternal decay, your 2018 full length on relapse records. Um, you guys have played a lot of notable festivals. You've toured supporting and with the support of a lot of notable bands that are very hardworking and on people's tongues nowadays. Um, uh, you know, you, you're very, you've been very busy out there. Has a lot of that been since the release of Realms of Eternal Decay? Like, would you guys say you, you've definitely done um, a, a wealth of touring and all that sort of stuff. Obviously the pandemic time kind of excluded since the release of that album and the newer album might be more influenced by those experiences playing live. I'd say we've done the most touring that we've done as a band since that album. It gave us the opportunities to do that kind of stuff because I think the album hit a little harder than I think any of us were expecting at the time. John and I did a lot of touring and kind of got that out of our system, you know, before this band. And we kind of got burned out a little bit, which is why we don't really tour like a lot with Outer Heaven. But when we get a good opportunity, we try to take it or, you know, in the last couple of years with the pandemic and stuff, it it didn't seem right to go out on the road without a new album and stuff like that. So we kind of were just holding back. Because we get opportunities, you know, constantly. Emails all day long from our from our our you know agent about this. These people want you on this and want you on that. Misery Index wants you in Europe and Ringworm and all these millions of things that everybody wants to put you on. And it's just we don't we don't tour like that. And like when we got signed to Relapse, we basically told them that 
before we even like in the very first meeting we have with them in their office was like, Hey, we're not going to be like a tour de force, you know, of the touring world. We did it. Some of us and it burned us out. You know, a lot of us kind of went into some regular life things. So we, we do, we take the opportunities that are either most fulfilling to us personally by touring with bands that we like, you know, even if that means it's not necessarily the biggest tour, it's, fulfilling in the sense that we like the bands we're friendly with the bands or we just like to see the bands and we want to be a part of whatever they're doing you know like when we did a we did a nails tour nails misery index and ulthar and that ended up being really great because you kind of had a lot of band like ulthar a band that kind of plays like a similar sound to us we really became cool with those guys and the misery index who's you know on a level above us obviously we became really cool with those those guys and they're like bring us into all their other stuff like i said like they wanted us to do a euro tour with them and stuff it's like <sighs> everything that we've done that's of note mostly is because of that album i'll definitely i could say that for the most part Definitely. and we did we did some stuff before that album you know with bands that would end up getting really big like small tours with gate creeper and stuff like that uh, when we were playing in basements, you know, with Gate Creeper in New Jersey, playing in basements with Blood Incantation in Washington, D.C., you know, and stuff like that. And those bands ended up getting monstrous, but it's because they put in the work. They tour constantly. They constantly put out music, good music, and they deserve it. You know, we're never going to be that type of band that does that. That's why, you know, it took us a long time to it took us almost five years to put out a second LP because we're just kind of we write at our own pace we do stuff at our own pace we're not worried about touring and all that so we just kind of do things as it fits for us fair enough um and for a band with that perspective you 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 put on a very good illusion of being a full-time touring band i think for a lot of your um, a lot, a lot of your listeners, because you guys, you, you know, you guys play, like you say, you play the higher, you play some high profile shows. You get out there. You did release a live album, the 2020, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, live album at St. Vitus, um, our own St. Vitus in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I, I understand that you did speak a little bit about it, and and one of the interviews I heard, I believe, um, about how you're. Uh, you have a lot of bands kind of have a, two personalities, one in the studio and one on stage. And, and I guess you wanted to record that live album to reflect your live show, which, um, is kind of known for being energetic. And again, I don't want to put the labels on you or anything like that, but maybe the, the, the stage show and the energy of your live performances captures a little bit of that hardcore spirit as well. Um, uh, again, not to put you in a box, like that's what I'm getting at, um, with this next album, like I did, like did recording a live album between the first and second album. Does that, does that do something for your writing process or for how you want to approach the recording of the, the second studio album, that sort of thing? I'm, I just want to see like, cause it's like a lot of bands will demo album material before they go in the studio. You guys like literally recorded a live album, not, not necessarily of the material that's forthcoming, but you got to understand what, what it's like to put out a live album that live album came about it was mostly just like we had the audio from it and we just were like sounded good and we wanted to put it out um relapse wanted to put it out and we were like hell yeah 
so down. Um, for me, like the, this, this upcoming album has like the most writing that I've ever done on an album. And like, for me, like I always want to write songs that are going to go over well live. So I always try and bring that kind of energy to like, of like, is this going to be like, are people going to dig this live? Is this going to make people go apeshit live? Like the new album is like, there's, it's the fastest outer heaven that we've ever had. It's like, like it's got mosh riffs. It's got headbanging riffs. It's got slamming riffs. It's got just riffs that I just like the, all the riffs that I wrote are just like, is this the kind of thing I'd like to see a band play live? And would this make me, you know, would this make me headbang? Would this make me come out of mosh retirement? <laughs> uh, so, like, I I try to channel a lot of that energy. Like, the, the one band that made me come out of mosh retirement is uh, Demolition Hammer. So, oh, and that's, like, my, one of my top five favorite bands ever. My favorite thrash band of all time. My favorite New York band of all time is Demolition Hammer. And, uh, like... So a lot of the riffs on this new album are like, if somebody asked me what it sounds like, it sounds like if uh, if Demolition Hammer wrote Gateways to Annihilation, like it's just like it's just like high energy stuff that I would want to hear play like see played live, and so like that's why I I really love playing those new songs live because they really go over well. That I will say that we with the live album, basically our live album and the subsequent. Um, covers like ep that we did those were, were both like releases in the pandemic and that was because relapse in the time where all the pandemic stuff was starting relapse was being really supportive of all the bands and they were sending all kinds of info about like financial support you can get like as a touring artist and all kinds of stuff uh, through all these different like services and they were they were they wanted to do anything they could to help you release music and make a couple dollars you know selling vinyl and streaming whatever so they said well you have this live material let's put it out on vinyl and said, okay cool you know i'll take any songs we got on vinyl if you're willing to put it in on there so we did that and then you know fast forward a couple years where we're still in all this pandemic bullshit and they had it was the 30 year anniversary relapse 30 30th anniversary of the label and they had sent out an email basically saying hey it's our 30th year if anyone's got any cool ideas or anything they might want to do a special release or anything let us know and so i basically came up with the idea of hey let's go back through the relapse catalog all the way to the beginning find a couple songs from the roster and record covers of them and it'll be like a tribute, you know, that's why it's called in tribute to the label, you know, at 30 years. And there is one track on there that's not from relapse, but that's because we recorded it in the same session and they begged us to put it on there with further release of the final, which was the morbid angel track that we did. But all those other tracks were from relapse releases over the years and stuff like that. And they were really supportive and, you know, it helped garner a few dollars you know for the band and stuff like that and kind of help you know we don't really need a lot because we don't tour full-time or anything but they were doing everything they could to help support all the bands 
through the time where you couldn't play or tour or do anything. And uh, to Zach's point, basically speaking on the new album, we kind of the the transition from going from having a live album to playing someone else's songs and spending all this time recording them kind of we put our songs on the back burner like for a little bit because it was a pandemic time and we thought uh what's the rush to finish the album writing it or to record it or do anything really because you're not going to play a show you're not going to do anything with it so really we could have had this album finished like two years ago but we kind of just like set it aside and waited for the right time and we felt like it was finally the right time and then i kind of slacked for a long time doing all of my vocals and stuff on it and we so we you know that maybe added like a year to, to the time between now and then but it was you know we all had a lot going on i personally had a lot going on but it was it, the new album is something that's just like that we're all like so proud of and it's like you know even we were trying to find if it felt like we were trying to find ourselves on the realms lp this album is where we finally found what we were looking for it's just it's every song and i mean everyone will say this about their new album you know every single time they talk about their new album it's the best thing we've ever done you know it's that 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 same old stick but it's it i really do feel like this is just like on a whole nother level for us and we we brought in a lot of people to work on the album to do vocals on the album and play on the album and have contributions to the album that i think people are really going to enjoy which is nice as well all right man um and speaking of people you've brought in since the recording of your first album if i got that right you've brought in derek vella uh, who people may know from also the bands Tomb Mold and Dream Unending. Um, he play he plays bass now in uh, um, Outer Heaven. So that's a long but short story. Okay. Before the pandemic, Derek was supposed to move from Canada to Philadelphia because he was getting married. He was engaged to a girl from Philadelphia, and that was the plan all along. We knew, he knew we were looking for a bass player. He was moving to our area. So he started learning our new album and he was going to record on our new album and he did record bass for our new album. Uh, but with then the pandemic came and basically it became over as the years went by, it became easier for her to kind of immigrate to Canada. So she went to Canada and he's now still in Canada, which basically means that, you know, he won't be playing with us, you know, anymore. Uh, so he did his contributions to the album and they're great and his playing is great and he even did like a, he contributed some riffs to the album and he does some solo work on you know soloing on the album and stuff like that uh so his contributions are definitely there heavily on the album uh and you know he's credited as being a member on the album and everything um but we have a friend now named paul uh who is playing bass with us uh, he lives more locally to us than Derek. Okay, got it. And so that would mean also that when uh, last month, um, uh, my my band Reeking Aura, um, we we had the uh, honor of being able to open up for you guys as well as Horrendous um, at St. Vitus in Brooklyn. So Derek wasn't there. 
No, that our base player that night would have been Paul. Yeah, okay, man, got it. So just 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 not to confuse the listeners. So Derek will be on the album, but welcome welcome mm-hmm. Paul into the fold. Uh, yeah, for obvious yeah. reasons that you just explained. Um, and for, just quickly for listeners, if they're interested, Derek Vela was a guest on the Heavy Hole podcast a long time ago now, a few years ago now. Um, so yeah. it's a little it's a little bit outdated, but if people want to go back, they can always check that out. That was probably before he was even going to move down to Philadelphia, I guess. Um but, episode. But we, we got to, uh, yeah, we, we got to catch up with those guys too. Wish them the best. Um, but Yeah, they're, they're making, they're, they're working on a little <laughs> something. Busy guys, and that Dream Unending album was really cool too. Um, yeah, kind of. He unig- pumps out music like he he pumps out music like nobody I've ever seen. I mean, that's a man who's fully engrossed in writing music. It's just some people just have that they just can write and write and write and write. I mean, there he he's put out multiple albums on his own in the time it took us to put out one album as a group. You know, so. He just he, he's a great player and he's a really nice guy. And that's why we really were happy to have him in the band. And, you know, we did play we did get to play one show with him, which was which was the live album. Oh, so OK. That's right. So he did play that show with us uh, and it was immortalized on the live album. That's because, yeah, because I figured he was playing shows with you guys. All right. All right. So, um Fair enough, man. Uh, and you did say the new album. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to talk about with the new album in terms of uh, artwork, concept, if there's any titles you want to give away, or if that's all locked up secret. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll say that if you liked the first album, the Realms album, if you enjoyed the artwork on the Realms album, if you enjoyed the concepts on the Realms album, you will absolutely enjoy what we've done with the new one i have specifically received the text before coming on here saying not to unveil too much about it because we're very clo- <laughs> we're very close to unveiling you know things about it finally after all this time so you know if anyone who listens to this is waiting to see when the new album's coming out it will be this year it'll be sooner than you think hopefully and it's like I said, if you enjoyed the last album, this album is a total continuation of the first album in every aspect from the art to the everything. So I think that people who like the, the Realms album will really, it, it adds a lot of that. This album adds a lot of value. It has a lot of value in itself, but it adds a lot of value to the Realms album as well in ways that I can't yet explain to you. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not going to press you for that, man. We're going to respect that, that pre-interview text from, from a bandmate or who, or whoever, man, I you got to watch sometimes, man, those, those interbands from, from an undisclosed relapse employee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. I, I, the, the, the band group text, man, you got to watch that sometimes, man. It gets hot, man. I, I shout, shout to my bandmates, man. God bless them. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, all right. So one, one question that popped into my head and I, I had to write down a few minutes ago, you guys both mentioned at the top of the interview that you come, you're, like I said, you're second generation metalheads. Your fathers are both down for metal. Like, I mean, you know, that, that's pretty, pretty solid history with both you guys for, for dads being metalheads. That's interesting to me. I don't come from a family, from a, from like a family background of heavy metal at all. Have if you if each of you guys just want to take a turn answering this question, has your father 
heard your band, been to a show, understand death metal as opposed to what heavy metal was in the 80s. I just want to get a take on that. Like, what's your father's perspective on what you're doing? So I'll preface the answers to this with a, a, a heavy answer is that both of our fathers are deceased. So okay. Okay. mine, my dad passed when I was 17 before I was ever doing anything with this band. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for Zach, and I'll let him explain this, his dad was very supportive of us before he passed and I'll let him take it from there. But but my dad, (laughs) my dad was bootlegging outer heaven t-shirts on his cricket machine. He was (laughs) at every single show he could come to. My dad ate a worm when we opened up for mortician for a free t-shirt. My dad came to my first outer heaven show opening for nails. He came to anytime we played St. Vitus, he was there. Anytime we played Philly, he was there. He drove all the way to Baltimore the last time he saw my dad passed away uh January of last year. So the last time my dad got to see Outer Heaven, he drove down to Baltimore to see us open for Exhumed. That he was biggest Outer Heaven fan on the planet. That he was straight up like if if there's if there's an out if there's a video from a show my dad was at, you're gonna hear him. Yelling he something. A, he was a serious fan. Oh, and it, 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 there's no doubt about it. His house had framed pictures of Zach playing live, of he, us playing live, of our album. He had the he had the album. He so he had uh like two copies of Realms that he opened up the gatefolds and he had like the the outside of the gatefold and the inside of the gatefold and it was like a 24 by 36 frame and he had the one on top and the one on the bottom and he had the he had the uh, the record in the middle is a clear record in the, in the middle. And he painted like he painted like like comets and like meteors like flying through space like behind the record. And that was like that was his like his entire bar was all outer heaven theme. Creative and, guy. Uh, he was he was <laughs> insane. He was he was always at all all our shows and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that that's about as supportive as you could possibly be. Yeah, was, I like to think that my dad would have been the same way. You know, it, it it sucks that, you know, being a fan of the music that he would never get to hear it, you know, for himself. But I like to think that he would be a similar way. Wow. Well, uh, first of all, I'm sorry uh, for, for both your guys' losses. Um, uh, sorry to hear that. I wish I had worded the question a little bit differently and asked first before I got into it like that. No, it's, it's cool, man. But but uh, really amazing story there, man. Total hundred percent support uh, there from your dad, man. That's great um, uh, to know that he was that into it, man. And when I, you said I, bootlegging I, 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 shirts on the cricket machine, it's crazy. I, I have a, I have, I'm still gonna do it. I just haven't gotten around to it. But uh, I found like the, those like little itty bitty like two inch tall urns. I have his. Uh, Remains in my house. I'm gonna get one of those little urns, and and uh, I was gonna put Velcro on the bottom and a little Velcro circle on my amp, so I could stick it to the top of my amp whenever we play shows, so he can still come to shows. Wow! I haven't. I got. I got. I'm gonna order one of them tonight. I forgot. I forgot I was gonna do that. That that's real. I respect. You know, yeah. my dad was a my dad was a crafty DIY guy. He was always doing crafts and shit like that. So he has one. He had a like a Black Death vodka, like the coffin that the bottles of Black Death vodka used to come in like as like the centerpiece of his bar and I've, i i like was in the process of like restoring it to use as an urn and shit like that just to try and diy something for my dad because he was always diy outer heaven shit it was just 
he was total totally supportive of everything. That's awesome. That's great to hear, man. May may both your fathers rest in peace, man. I appreciate Thank you guys you. sharing that. Um, b- b- both of you, man. That's and and just learning. You know, it's I I always ask people, but like 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 you guys know the show. The first question is usually, "Are you from a musical family?" That sort of thing, and we get a whole range of different answers. So it's just it's just cool to have a band where, like I said, the just the idea of being a second generation metalhead is uncommon for uh, me and my friends. Like you know, um, but. Moving moving on from that, then we talked about your um, upcoming album, uh, of which we're not going to divulge any more details. Uh, shout to Relapse Records. Can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, you guys, you know, you said you don't tour a lot. Are, is there anything coming up you might want to plug or promote, or anything, or you know what you want to talk about, or you know maybe not even until the new album drops? I don't know if you want to make a statement about. We have, that. We have the Hell in the Harbor Festival that we're playing. That's which right. is kind of like a, a soft fill in for Maryland death fest. Yes. You know, while they're taking a year off, uh, if anyone from Maryland death fest hears this and decides to stop hating us, uh, <laughs> book us sometime. <laughs> we have an unspoken feud with Maryland death fest. Is that right? It's very one-sided. I love it. We, 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 we love go, going. We've both gone to Maryland Death Fest multiple times, but they'll just never ask us. To never, they will never book us on Maryland Death Fest. I don't know why. I mean, if they don't like us, that's cool. No, whatever. But I don't care. Our agent, Ethan, he, he tries to put on for us. All his bands play all the time. He knows them. I've met Evan, is his name. Yeah, Personally, you know, we just played with Miasmatic Necrosis recently enough, you know, Get it. Somebody's got to get us in there. <laughs> I just want to play, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's t- you know I was just thinking today about these fests. Not not, not singling out any fest in particular. Um, uh, it see it seems competitive. It seems difficult. I'm trying to choose my words carefully here because I'm in a few bands and I want to get on fests mm-hmm. too. But it definitely sure. it, it definitely seems like it's a little harder to get on some of these fests than it is to get on your average touring circuit shows. You know, there's there's a, there's a sure. there's some networking to it. Um, yeah. but we wish you guys the best. And that, uh, I'm sorry, what was it? Hell in the Harbor. Hell in the Harbor. Hell in the Harbor. Yeah, it's kind of like taking taking the um. Uh, the 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 time and, and place that Maryland Death Fest would usually occupy this yeah. year, but it is stacked. Um, it is. It's it's kind of just reminds me of when Maryland Death Fest was a smaller, like shorter event. You know, it's and just sure. that that's what Adam was telling me is going to be the vibe. It's like yeah. one indoor stage, one outdoor stage directly outside. You don't have to you don't have to take a shuttle from 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 the from the parking lot to the sound stage. It's sound stage, and then they got the street outside sound stage block off, blocked off, bro. All due respect to MDF, but I'm 40. That's that sounds good. So you know what I mean? <laughs> hey man, bro, I got a heart I condition, bro. I'm not. He's, I'm not, yeah, I'm not he's got a heart condition. I got a bad back. Yeah, I'm like, 31. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trailing too far behind, and that's too much for me anymore. Yeah, me and my man. wife. My wife bought me tickets to MDF, and she and I went together, and we've never gone together again since. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's. Feels it's like a, that. I feel like that's going to make your relationship stronger by the end of the weekend, man. So it's a tough weekend, man. You know, it's fun. It was. It's a. Fun, it's absolutely it's, a fun time. It's like the best time ever. But it's, like, there's there's hardly anywhere you could go in the United States where you could see that many bands on that level in such a short period of time. Yep. Such an eclectic lineup. You know, it's it's great. And you know, and, and I don't mean any. You know, I'm not like a hater. A hater. I'm not oh, being God. a hater. No. But it's no. just you know, 
we joke a lot that we will never ever get to play because we just never they we've never been asked and we've just been asked to play like almost everything at this point except for that so we're waiting for the day hopefully well with the new album hopefully you guys will um uh, have that opportunity and yeah all i'm getting at you know what it is i think it's, it speaks to preparation it's like you see all these bands you're gonna have a good time and get drunk with your boys for four days no wear good shoes be, you know, yeah. get a hotel room that's close to the event so you're not hiking all over Baltimore trying to get there and taking Ubers yeah. and stuff. Like, it really, you know, it's just something you have to be a little prepared for, these big metal fests. It's not yeah. it's not going to it's not going to the all-day hardcore show at Shakers. You know, it's two, yeah. it's two, different, <laughs> two different levels of commitment, all right? Oh, um, sure. but, but listen, that being said, you guys have been very generous with your time, and I appreciate you taking the time this evening. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else you got going on or, or uh, anything else we failed to bring up, but I'm going to bring it back to the uh, typical heavy hole um, conclusion question, which is, can you guys each take a turn recommending one older and one newer release of music? It could be demo, album, metal or otherwise, anything you want, just something from back in the day and something a little bit more recent in your personal opinion. Well, what have I been listening to this week? I've been listening to a lot of Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell this week. Uh, I've been spinning that thing like crazy for the last week straight. That would be my oldie. And uh, I started listening in the last couple of days to the the, the new uh, Sulfuric Cautery album. Yes. Yeah. Which is fairly new, I believe. Uh, I've been spinning that a few times. I'm really into that. And also uh, another one, Eurosepsis. Uh, they're from Texas, I believe. That's a newer album that, that came out really recently that I've been listening to quite a bit. Okay, awesome, man. For my uh, oldie pick, I'm going to say uh, Grateful Dead live at Cornell University, 1977. And uh, for my newer pick, I've literally only listened to Grateful Dead for the last, like, since, since, since the new year. So I can't say we're, we're stoners over here. Uh, yeah, great. First Grateful and Dead, foremost, Grateful Dead, Cornell University, 1977. That's my pick. Okay, that's my oldie pick. Interestingly enough, when I had Morris from Blood Incantation on, he praised the Grateful Dead as well. I'm not, and I'm not disrespectful. It's you know, I've never spent a lot of time absorbing the Grateful Dead as a band. I, need, I, I neither had I. Know. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Like I, I am a recent convert. Our old bass player Ray. Uh, who joined? Who joined when I switched to guitar? He for the last like two years. That's literally just been. Like, he's become like the deadhead of all deadheads. Uh-huh. Like it's it's been it's insane. And I was like making fun of him for it. But then I was like, all right, I'm gonna give it a shot. And so I started listening to it, and I was like, damn, this is really cool. <laughs> and like, so now like I like downloaded this app, re-listen that has every single Grateful Dead show basically ever like recorded for free on it and shit like that. Wow. Uh, and I've just been like deep diving. It's awesome, man. Just like every every like it's just good songs and it's just like cool vibes. And every every show the the songs are different. Anybody um, anybody who says they only listen to death metal, I don't trust you. I don't believe you at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did try listening to Fish on that app, and no. don't 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 do that. We don't go. We're not gonna get. We won't <laughs> go, go that far. The Dead and Fish and Mo. And Dave Matthews, it's all different vibes. It's like subgenres. Oh, different vibes. The same way we have like gore grind and crust and all that stuff. Like they have the jam bands have their 
You know, we can't. We- <laughs> also, uh, spent a lot of time talking about my dad, but shout out to my uncle, my uncle Tom, who uh, was in like Philadelphia's premier Grateful Dead tribute band, Splintered Sunlight, back in the 90s, uh, who is, uh, they're still around. They're playing the Flyers game. Uh, they played the Flyers game, the Philadelphia Flyers game two nights ago, I think, at Grateful Dead night, apparently, but that band's still around. Wow. Uh, so, my yeah, my uncle, uh, he's uh, also a musical guy best guitar player ever knew wow. all right man you know the grateful dead has like sick art you know all oh, the, ske- so the, the skeletons and the roses and all that stuff yeah. like as a kid i always thought it was cool but i gravitated more towards like i always expected it to be kind of like heavy metal because the art yeah. you know when i was a kid and i didn't know anything man but i mean i only know that like their hit right like trucking and like you know whatever some of their hit records are and stuff man and it's not a bad music man may i might be like on the edge of being into the grateful dead and just not know it like I'm, I, I that, might... that, that's exactly how i was because yeah. i was just like i, I started listening and i was like oh <laughs> this is okay it'll okay. click i was like okay now 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 it clicked I might be an eighth of shrooms away from being a deadhead. You never know, man. So, hey. it's, well, there's what a happened? right there with you. I traded some original. I'm not going to get into what, but I traded some original sick death metal CDs in the '90s to a friend of mine when we were like 14 or 15, not knowing the value or that discogs would be a thing. And you know, I was an idiot. And it's stuff that's probably worth a couple of bucks nowadays. I, I hadn't seen the kid in probably like 20 years now, but I know the kid the last time I saw him was following the Grateful Dead and had like, you know, like white boy dreadlocks and the tie-dye shirt and the whole nine and everything. So there is a trajectory from <laughs> from death to dead. Um, but yeah, okay, yeah. man. So uh, Zach and Austin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to bring? I don't know if you guys have side projects you're working on or anything else you're involved that you want to promote or anything like that. You could take the time now um, or just, you know, any messages for fans of Outer Heaven and listeners of our show? Um, yeah, this is pretty much all we do in terms of music. Yeah. We're working on some random shit, you know, new albums on its way. And just keep an eye out for that. We're going to be doing music video and all kinds of stuff really soon. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out. It's coming. Yeah, I, that's it. New album coming soon. Cool music video coming soon, hopefully. Hell yeah. Uh, long awaited. Uh, new Outer Heaven coming soon uh, for the for the listeners. Um, and like we said, you can go back and check out their 2018 full length on Relapse Records, Realms of Eternal Decay. Uh, you have the live album and, of course, the tribute live album covering uh, Relapse artists and one non-Relapse artist. Um, that's very important, so you can cover them. Uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, man. Um, and uh, like you said, uh, just watch for that new album, man. We're, we're, we appreciate you guys' time, man. Have a great night. Thank you, man. Cheers. Take it easy. MC Hammer, you can't touch this. Dave Gladding, my co-host tonight, working on a sensitive power supply issue over there. Dave, are you still with us? 
I'm still here. Oh, I'm, you, uh, you guys I'm, hear that? I, I licked the ends of my fingers, and I'm just holding it in place to keep the uh, the signal going. So uh, I should be good. Yeah, this guy's this guy Bolo bought a, tickles me. This guy bought a, a laptop at five below that runs on a nine volt battery over here, and he's helping me do the podcast. No, sh- Dave, th- shout to you, man. Thank you. We're going to address that issue um, after after we finish this. But um, uh, big thanks to Austin and Zach from Outer Heaven for addressing uh, all of my questions. Uh, this evening, man, we appreciate their time shedding a little bit of light on that band and their come up, uh, and their plans for the future. We're going to be on lookout for that, for that new album. Um, uh, now another thing I'm going to be looking now, speaking of new albums, um, you, you talked before Dave about old things coming back, those internal bleeding reissues you got, you have something else you brought to my attention earlier today. You sent me a link for something. Now this like, this is great. Cause this was our era, 1999, if I'm not mistaken, um yeah i'm gonna let you let you spill the details but it's from a country i don't know many bands uh from from that era doing something like this uh so i'll just kind of let you take over from here i don't want to i don't want to steal the spotlight okay so i i want to start with just a little bit of like a like a trip in the Wayback machine because I, I was i was having like a like a bit of a uh like memories of the old days when I was listening to this, the, uh, the the place I got it from was, are you familiar with Extremities Productions from like the late 90s? It's it's ringing a bell here, but refresh my memory. Uh, so I think I think it started as a zine and then the guy turned it into a label. He put out like he put out the the disgorge cranial uh, cranial impalement okay. CD All right. and then he put out a, a Gorgasm bleeding profusely and i'm not sure what else he put out but those are the two that that i have in my in my collection but um yeah but the the thing that i I was like bringing it up about was that web store for extremities productions was the first one i ever encountered that had a sample like a song to listen to for each of the releases they were selling because this was like back in like 98 or 99 on the internet which it, you know, if you remember back that far, like being able to, uh, if you were ordering stuff online, you might as well have been using like a, like a, a, a print catalog because you couldn't. There was no sound samples. You couldn't download stuff and listen to it. It wasn't as easy to, to sort of like hear something before you bought it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that place was like one of the first ones that had uh, like they had an entire song from each of the releases. I, I think if memory serves, I got like this one, uh, like Wicked Innocence and a few other things, but. This band, just to to finish uh, beating around the bush, is a uh, voracious gangrene from Bordeaux, France, and the album is Hooked to Death. <laughs> it, yeah, and uh, you know, the song titles are about as good as you would expect from a European band, but uh, very very much in line with uh, the the Disgorge and Gorgasm albums you brought up before. Yeah, it, it's like. 90s style like blasting brutal death metal and it's uh, I, I i always sort of like would describe it to people as sort of like a combination of early cryptopsy and early dying fetus mm. and now that like listening to it again years later i'm adding the reference of it also i feel like i, I hear some malicious hate in there too yes yeah that yeah. that may have been may or may not have been intentional on their part i, I don't know how uh how out there in Europe malicious hate was. 
in the late nineties, but well, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Cause I've said, yeah, no, I was just gonna say it's, it's like really, it's just, it, it's not like typewriter blast beats. Like, like some of those bands like Nile or, or uh, the, whatever, but it's just like, it's really good raw sounding brutal death metal. It's got really good energy for the whole song. It doesn't really, you don't wait. It, 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 the songs aren't long enough that you lose interest in them and they don't really ever slow down. But uh, yeah. Uh, do you have anything to say about it? Well, yeah, you said malicious. Hey, that's funny because that, that band didn't spring to mind, but it makes total sense because um two bands that are comparable to Malicious Hate sprang to mind. I thought of Rotting Flesh from Brazil, which I don't often compare a band to. It's like a little bit of an out, but, and I also thought of Terrorizer. Um, yeah. We, we talked about the World Downfall album. With, I, was, I had Rick on a while, a while ago, a few weeks ago. We talked about that, but um, I think the main connecting thing here is that it's, it's like, it's almost like it's grindcore with death metal elements. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, it's so it's, or it's, it's at least in that point between death metal and grindcore where it's death grind, uh, whatever that yeah. is. And it has that, yeah. but it's still thoroughly death metal. You know what I mean, man? Like it's, it's not grindcore with death metal riffs, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm getting a little jumbled up here, but, um, like it's, like it's not traditional grindcore. It's maybe more influenced by like older carcass. Uh, is probably like the clearest reference I can make or like, you know, that that Terrorizer album, which is a grindcore album, but with like a death metal uh, musician's ear to it. You know, like this is just it's it's brutal death metal in the 90s, like like what was going on in 99. And you could compare it to Discord and Gorgasm. But I feel like there's a little bit more of a raw unhinged quality to this and it's not as techy it's more like the 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 the, fero the ferocity and the and the fast tempo is a little bit more from grindcore than from tech death yeah, yeah absolutely I, like i wouldn't even if anybody like you can't even use the word tech death with these guys like they're just like a band like a death metal band or like death grind whatever you want to call them really blast beat heavy but in a good way uh, and it, the songs don't really slow down. Like, it's not like it, they don't ever go into like mosh riffs or doom riffs or anything like that. So it has that like really like unrelenting pace of, uh, of like brutal death metal. But like, I guess in the, in the late nineties, brutal death metal wasn't really a thing on its own, or at least not the way we know it now. But, uh, yeah, it's got like, like some of the riffs are like, I don't want to say melodic, but like, you know, you can hum them they're not like like riff salad kind of riffs and there's like huh. kind of guitar solos that you know sort of complement the riffs a little bit like the kind of way uh cryptopsy early cryptopsy albums were that's like like the you know that that's sort of like what i got from it yeah well that's also a time when there weren't as many clearly defined subgenres. like at, at the risk of sounding cliche it was all death metal you know what I mean? It's like it still kind of was like, I mean, obviously there was a distinction between Discord, California's Disgorge and like Dismember, you know, like obviously there's different stylistic, yeah. you know, things. And but, you know, but it wasn't as like divided and, and categorized. And, you know, nowadays there's tech death, there's OSDM, there's gore grind, there's there, there's all melod death. There's a million different ways to, to cut it. But back then it was a little bit more. It wasn't as it wasn't as like crazy for a band to be kind of taken from different elements of extreme metal and putting it all in, in one package like that. You know what I mean? 
yeah, it was still it was a time when like you could just describe a band as like you could call these guys they're like American style death metal, yeah, death grind or something like that, or like Swedish style death metal or you know whatever Canadian style. Like you could just sort of say the the country, and that gives you a good enough idea. But yeah, now it's it's so subdivided you can't really do it anymore you really have to get in the weeds yeah uh, yeah you know describing it and parsing it out yeah th- this is definitely like a little gem from the late 90s uh the brutal heads might want to take a look at this man because it's something i didn't know about this i wasn't aware of this man i appreciate you taking us a walk down memory lane and give us that what well, was extremities records right yeah extremities uh, productions, I think it was either productions or records. I, I, I yeah. don't have it in front of me. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I was just off the top of my head trying to remember it. But um, it might have been productions. I think I remember seeing ads for that or so. You know, I definitely have seen. Yeah, that. yeah. But that was like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the CD if I didn't have that. If I wasn't able to listen to a track the way I was on that website, which is the only yeah. reason I brought it up. Because you know, like it, the the artwork is, it's pretty kind of corny. You know, the logo isn't that interesting to look at. But the music is just so fucking good. It's so typical of the the demos that were being put out in the late '90s when you and I were like first getting head on into the the underground scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's it's right there. The people who, who who like that sort of thing, and there's a lot of younger people collecting that sort of thing now too, man. They're, you know, you love it or you hate it, man. Um, you know who I think might enjoy this? Who? Heavy Hole producer Tom Saltman. Big shout to Tom. Uh, Dave, let Tom know what we're talking about one more time so we can cut it in. It's a uh, voracious gangrene hooked to death. All right, so I got something. You know, you were just saying with that voracious gangrene hooked to death, and we were talking about the subgenres, and nowadays you don't really know, like, you know, regionally where bands are from, if that has any, depending on their sound. I recommended something to you um, where I feel like the I, I feel like within a few minutes of popping this on, like, you, most people would understand where this band is from. Like, you, you being a, a Long Island native... Like this, this kind of reeks of like you know, South Shore, Suffolk County, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. I um, I got like. Do you want to introduce the uh the release first before uh, I get into it? Do I? No, I'm I'm just playing, man. Because no, um, right. first of all, uh, you you can go to the Hard Knock NY uh dot Bandcamp dot com site for Hard Hard Knock Records. Um. But I'm talking about the Malabolgia demo, which was put out a few years ago in 2020, but this band is active. Um, so it's a four-song demo put out by uh, some younger musicians here on Long Island. It's Now, Dave, I brought this up especially for you. I have a whole spin on this, but I wanted to get your like un- unfiltered take on it before before I I smear any of my shit on it. So, uh, what's your what was your take on this this uh, demo I, sh- I sh- shot your way a few days ago? Right. Uh, so I, I want to point out that the first time I listened to it, like the first, I I spent it a few times, but like the first time I listened to it, I wasn't really feeling it that much. I feel like the 
the vocals are like they they feel a little more hardcore than death metal to me, which is like you know, but whatever. But like the more I listen to it, the music is fucking sick. It's like mm. really they. I feel like they those, these guys must like sit in a room together and just listen to like the mangled demo and like repudiation over and over and over again. And that's like what they like paired it a little bit with like some hardcore parts, but like for the most part, it's like it, it's just like really uh i got a lot of like like the like early repudiation and uh and mangled kind of sound out of them well what did you think okay um wow you took well you took it right in the neighborhood i was going but not on the block i was going i i wasn't going to take it to repudiation because they didn't go full on frog vocals but you're right they, there's something in that quality to the to the mute no you're absolutely dead on with that but here's here's here was my take i actually thought in torturement a little bit more and okay. this is i can see that yeah but big picture this is what i really thought internal bleeding and it's great because i didn't you didn't know i was going internal bleeding when you brought up the internal bleeding reissues before so we're having some synchronicity here internal bleeding had a period after driven to conquer the next album was Onward to Mecca. And that was during the period where I believe it was only Bill Tolley from like the OG lineup. And it was some younger musicians from New York and they were doing more of a deathcore, hardcore influenced style. Do you remember that Dave? I do. I I've never actually heard that album, but I do remember uh, seeing them live a lot with like the various lineups of that era. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like it was, you know, it was pretty good. It was definitely more hardcore from what I can remember. Deathcore, whatever you want to call it. That, first of all, that album is worth a shot. Second of all, um, this so is this demo. Uh, because here's where here's the comparison in my eyes. It's, and I'm trying to think of the way to respectfully say this, because I'm not saying this in a bad way. It's like the song is for the slam and for the breakdown, obviously, but they're peppering in just enough of that informed death metal style to make it like death core. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, and that's like an internal bleeding in that era that I was talking about just now and onward to Mecca and that, that era where the, you know, I think the guy Jerry was singing and for a while and, and they, they don't have much recorded output from that, but they were really, they were kind of like they had, set the balance over into deathcore and metalcore and hardcore more than death metal at that point. And that's kind of like what this was. It's like, so it's like, it is, there is that death metal element. They're a band that could play with death metal bands, but it's unmistakably like Long Island, hardcore, New York, hardcore kind of deathcore influence. Um, and in a way also reminding me maybe of like, if you remember dark side, NYC, I rate, um, yeah. certain bands of that style where it's like they, you know, you could tell that there was that death metal style in there somewhere, but they were like kind of tough and street enough in their style to also be in the hardcore scene. I, I, I think people get the picture of what I'm saying here. Like just like their songwriting style and their sound, I don't want to overthink it either. Yeah. And, um, just to, to title together, um, Matt Ferrara was on that internal bleeding album. That's right. Matt yeah. Ferrara of mm-hmm. repudiation and mangled. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that, that was probably kind of what, what I was hearing. Wow. Was like the, you know, the the Matt Ferrara influence. But there is also uh I forget which I think it was like the second song where they did 
there was like a backing vocal that had like that sort of uh like repudiation demo kind of frog sound to it yeah you notice that yeah i i missed that exact moment or maybe i didn't hear it the same as you yeah but th- th- that was the thing that like maybe really like re- that, that like really perked my ears up i think and then like when i went back to listen to it i kind of heard like some other stuff but uh yeah i i think everything that you said does make sense because it did have it walked this very fine line where like it was there was death metal and you could tell that there was hardcore deathcore whatever you you know you want to call it but like the interpretation was not it wasn't like nowadays like deathcore or death metal like they definitely it's like stuff from a few years ago like i can't remember what like when our rate was from like the early 2000s or the late 90s or something or you know but yeah like it, it definitely has that like kind of old school new york sound maybe even if people remember without remorse oh yeah that's uh what's his name from chris i never Ma- actually heard that band but uh chris mccarthy um who people might know better from internal bleeding we got he, a good friend of the show man i see him all the time at amityville musical man um and with internal i we got to get him on the show uh sooner than later but yeah um he was in a band without remorse and maybe this is this will be a good promo for when we eventually get him on but uh he could talk more about it but before he was in internal bleeding without remorse left their own distinct mark on the long island hardcore and metal scene in the early 2000s um, and have played re- reunion shows that kind of went bananas too uh, ever since, just to just to show you. But, you know, we're, we're going on a little bit of a tangent here. I just wanted to get people um, aware of this band, Malbolgia, and also, um, a shameless plug, Exsanguinated, my band, we're playing with uh, Malbolgia, uh, also Not One Truth from New Jersey, a hardcore band, uh, and several other bands. April the 23rd, which is a Sunday at Amityville Music Hall, um, Chris will probably be there working the door, and that's going to start off at 6.30 a little bit earlier because it's a Sunday night, man. So, But, but that's Mal Bolgia. You can look up hardknockny.bandcamp.com to listen to that or check it out for other other um, uh, platforms, man. Uh, and look, ch- check out the rest of the Hard Knock NY uh, scene. they got a few other things they put out, man. Um, but uh, I just wanted to bring that to your attention, Dave, and I feel like we man, we really like – because you see, you I forgot, even though – um, I'll, I'll promo in a second. We did a Patreon episode about internal bleeding. Um, I forgot about that Matt Ferrara connection. So you brought it to internal bleeding. I mean, you brought it to repudiation and mangled, and I brought it to the only internal bleeding with Matt Ferrara on it. So it's like we both were kind of. It's like I said, we were going to the same neighborhood, different block, and we really were. Yeah. No. And I, I kind of wonder. I'd love to, you know, talk to those guys and and find out what like like what their influence was if if it was like just directly those bands if they were like sit, sat down with like a bunch of like you know late 90s demo tapes and were just kind of like this is the sound i want to go for or if it's just like you know that that like that thing that is just like it's in the water and you can't get away from it and they just like um came up with it like sort of naturally but it's like it it's the same like new york sound uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but it could also just be that they're yeah. influenced by bands that were influenced by bands that were influenced by that. Yeah. You know what I mean? At this yeah, point, yeah. And, and and everything in between. Uh, but you never know, man. If those, when those guys are down to do a full length and record something new, man, maybe they'll come on the program and we'll talk about it. Uh, shout to them. Um, uh, Tom, check out this uh, young band, Malbolgia, um, with their 2020 demo that you can find on the Hard Knock NY band camp.
There's something a little ignorant there, man. Bring your face guard to that show. Uh, Mal Bolger playing April the 23rd at Amityville Music Hall. That's a Sunday, starting off a little early. My band Exsanguinated is fortunate to be on the bill. We're, we're going to be uh, um, uh, sharing the stage. Also, Not One Truth from New Jersey. Several other bands. It's going to be a good one. Uh, Dave, any anything coming up that you're looking forward to in terms of shows and things like that? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of shows. There's um, So up by me, I'm a little north of, uh, of New York City. There's a show in June. It's... Uh, at, in Poughkeepsie at the uh, at the loft, it's a uh, mall who I think has been on the show before. Yes, yeah, I talked to Garrett Alvarado, the singer of Mall, a while back, man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's them, a band called Brat, Sick Bay, Servant of Sorrow, which I think has someone from Thetis. Okay, in I'm, it. I'm not up on and uh, can't keep up, can't keep up. Yeah, it's too many side projects, and uh, Interference is the uh, is the last band. Sweet. All right. Yeah, Maul doing a big uh, tour. Shout out to Maul. Maul just signed to 20 Bucks Spin. Uh, so looking right. for And Gurgling Gore Records just reissued their um, uh, their first album, uh, their debut album on, on another cassette, handsome-looking cassette. So shout out to everybody involved there. Yes, yeah, I'll have to get around to, to listen to them before the show. I haven't uh, heard them yet. Wor- but that's uh, the that's shot. June 3rd in, uh, in Poughkeepsie, New York, if, okay. you're, uh, if you're in the area. All right. And then I got a. Do you know about the uh, these haunted hotel shows that Ralph is putting on? Um, of course, I was the first to know. But why don't you tell the listeners? It's uh the first one is at at Saint Vitus on Mar- on uh, May twenty sixth. It's Meth Leopard from <laughs> Australia, I think. Love that name. Or, uh, organ dealer. Yeah, we had Eric Schnee, uh, drummer of Organ Dealer on the program a while back. I'm sorry, go ahead, buddy. Remember that? Uh, misanthropic Noise, Hallucination Realized, yes. and Durian. Love it. Okay, that's going to be loud. Yeah, and fast. And the second show is at a secret location. Uh-oh. It's in, in, Ralph, uh, in Brooklyn. It's in, it's in Ralph's I house. <laughs> I was I actually, I asked him, I was like, hey, what's the secret location? Like, I was hoping it was in my like backyard so I didn't have to go anywhere. But... No, it's not. It's uh, in uh, it's in you know Brooklyn. Did did but you just did you give away the secret just now? <laughs> well, yeah. If, if it was if that was it, I, I just wouldn't be. I'd be like, dude, don't make that a secret. Just I want I want everyone to come up here. I don't want to, have to go down to the city to go to shows. That'd, I that'd I don't want to I don't you know? want to get sued by haunted hotel. I just you know like it, my neighbors would hate me, but I'd have a lot of fun. But uh, I can go to bed whenever I want to. <laughs> but uh yeah so but yeah so the secret location is not um my backyard it is uh true it's in brooklyn somewhere okay you know text uh or like reach out to to ralph or to any of the bands on the show to to find out the location uh and those bands are morgue breath Ooh. uh necropsy odor yeah orthopedic cranial encavement former guest of the show charcuterie yeah and blemish Ooh, that is a gross lineup bring yeah it's gonna be a, a sick show bring your vomit bags like on the on the airplane that's it's gonna be a gross one G- fucking gross yeah, all right lots I, of fucking grind yeah all right so that's 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 a lot right there that you, anything else going on now that's that's all i got 
That's a lot. Those are some key shows you dropped on the people. I appreciate that. And you covered a lot of ground. Brooklyn, upstate, secret location, undisclosed location in Brooklyn. Yeah, um, Atlantis. I, yeah, I have some... Uh, ooh, you just brought me back to the Isley Brothers, man. Atlantis, that's a great song. <laughs> I, I like the Isley Brothers in their slower moments, man. They had some great jams, Atlantis. Okay, drifting on a memory here. Let's 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 bring it back to the future instead of the memories. Um, the old... Let's see. I'm looking at my list of shows here. Like I said, Amityville Musical, April the 23rd. We're going to be there with Exsanguinated. Not One Truth from New Jersey. Mal Bolger, whose demo we just told you all about. We spilled all the beans on that. Um, May the 25th, uh, it's going to be Reeking Aura, Soul Remnants, and Torturous Inception at the old St. Vitus Bar there. Looking forward to that one. Uh, Saturday, April the 29th at the old Amityville Music Hall. Once more, Extinction AD, Tombstoner, Raid, former guest of the show, Reeking Aura. We're going to be there. And Vermillion are playing, man. So I got a, I got a few uh, gigs coming up there, man. Um, I, I spread them out in a disjointed fashion just now. April 23rd at Amityville Music Hall. Exsanguinated is going to be there. Um, April the uh, 25th, uh, Reeking Ore is playing uh, St. Vitus Bar with Torturous Inception there. And, of course, um, I, I mean, May the 25th. I'm getting everything crossed there. And then April the 29th, uh, Extinction AD, Tombstone Raid, Reeking Ore, Vermilion at Amityville Music Hall. Uh, and we got big things coming, man. I, we're going to announce a few things with Exsanguinated and Reeking Ore coming up uh, for the summer. We're going to be playing some shows uh, hopefully in some 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 place near you outside of New York. Uh, as much as we love New York, we're getting out of town for a few gigs with those bands. Uh, Afterbirth going in, like we said, we're recording our album. Uh, the countdown has begun. My lyric book is I've I checked it twice, like Santa Claus on my big fat belly. Uh, and we're going into the studio there in April, um, and we're going to kick all these new jams. Uh, Willow Tip Records. We're very happy. It's going to be great to. Um, uh, finally have all this stuff uh, uh, recorded, man. We, we we work very hard on that with Afterbirth. We rehearse like clockwork every two weeks with those guys, man. It's it's um, a good experience, man. So that's about all I got cooking right now. Um, shout out to our guests. Uh, shout out to Outer Heaven, man. We appreciate those guys. We're looking forward to that new album dropping, speaking of new albums and new material and uh, the fruit of your labors. We know they've been working very hard on that, and their fans have been anticipating a new album uh, for a while now, man. I know I'm going to be um, keeping my ears uh, uh, picked for that. Dave, uh, anything else going on, man? You, they, they need to get off your chest to talk about it that you're looking forward to in metal. Uh, not really. Just if anyone hasn't yet, uh, watch Futurama. <laughs> That's all I got. All right, man. Uh, and if you watch, and then after you're done binge watching Futurama, you can get on the Patreon there. We got a couple of bonus episodes there. Uh, and before, like I was saying, with Eternal Bleeding, I did a bonus episode on our Patreon a long time ago, one of the first Patreons we did where I did a lot of research into Internal Bleeding's lineup and history, and I broke down, like, I'm not going to say all, but most ex-members and most periods of Internal Bleeding and, like, kind of got into the nitty-gritty of some of the lineups of their albums and how people might not realize the pedigree of certain lineups and who's who's who and what's what and this sort of thing. I just broke it all down about Internal Bleeding and the, and the, the bands that were, like, in Torturement and Reputilation and the bands that were involved in their era and everything else man so um people can check for that on patreon look for us on your social medias um by now the uh the, the hopefully the documentary screening went well by now I, I don't know man we're gonna we're gonna be going out that t- t- tomorrow but this episode will be up a few days later man so shout out to everyone who's uh planning on making it out there man hopefully it went down okay man uh we appreciate you the listeners man and um dave thank you to you sir for being the uh, designated driver on this occasion oh shit um, I'm drunk. 
I didn't realize I was supposed <laughs> to be the designated driver. That, but uh, th- thanks for having me along, regardless. All right, man. Well, you, you, you're drunk. You got two dogs. Now you might wake up tomorrow with another one. Mm-hmm.